Welcome to Deeper Walks on the Trail podcast. You are on the trail with father-daughter duo Marcus and Stephanie Warner. I'm Stephanie, and I'll be talking with my father, Dr. Marcus Warner, as we discuss topics that help you stay on the trail to a deeper walk with God. Wow, episode 20. We are continuing today with a look at one of the three pillars of the kingdom worldview, sacred romance. Hello, father. Hello, daughter. I have an important question. Be warned, for many, there is a wrong answer. (laughs) The BBC 1995 Pride and Prejudice or the 2005 Pride and Prejudice? Uh, I know. I'm like, so I'll be honest. I I like the 2005 one better, but... The nice thing about the earlier one is you can just live in the world longer. Mm-hmm. And so you get a little bit more attached to the characters because of that. So Okay, acceptable, acceptable. <laughs> I have to choose the BBC 1995, hands down, but I do appreciate all that the 2005 was able to accomplish within the length of a feature film. I love the music in the 2005. Oh, truth, truth. <laughs> I, I definitely, that's good study music. It's good. I love it. So yeah, I think it was super well done. And then there's, hmm, I shouldn't even bring up Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. This is going too far. <laughs> All right. right. So <laughs> now, death, death of Pemberley. Okay. Now <laughs> that I've sown some controversy, All right. I, bring up, I bring up Jane Austen's famous love story because we're talking about sacred romance. And this romance is in the context of kingdom worldview. So in Pride and Prejudice... Lizzie Bennet starts off with a very poor view of a certain Mr. Darcy. She has a horrible first impression of him and immediately writes him off as cold, aloof, and arrogant. Then she meets the charming Mr. Wickham, who spins horrible tales about Mr. Darcy, making Lizzie believe Darcy is the very last man she would ever marry. Meanwhile, Mr. Darcy is falling more and more in love with Lizzie. By the end of the story, Lizzie is able to enter Mr. Darcy's world and see him as he truly is, and not as his enemies would have her believe. She falls completely in love with him, and they, of course, live happily ever after. I give this crash course summary of Pride and Prejudice (laughs) to ask a more serious question. How, Father, is God like Mr. Darcy? Yes, that is where we start the chapter on uh, sacred romance and toward a deeper walk. It's this idea that... uh... A lot of us struggle with that. Uh, one of my favorite favorite book titles uh, is called The Hidden Rift with God. And the idea in this is that a lot of us, even as Christians, have something that we hold against God that keeps us from being as intimate with Him as we would otherwise be. And uh, those, a lot of times, because we're trying to be good Christians, we are in denial about it. And that's why it's a hidden rift. We sort of don't even admit it to ourselves that it's really there. Uh, in, a, in the same way, I know of a, I, I'm thinking about a person I met who has a story very much like this with God, and that is she had grown up in the church, and she decided that the last thing in the world she was interested in was Christianity. Uh, so she went into uh, the New Age and got heavily into uh, a very occult sort of spirituality. Um, and then God spoke to her one day, and she was like, okay, God, who are you? And then she said, and please don't tell me you're Jesus, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, and but this is the idea, because she had already made up in her mind that the last person she could ever trust or ever love was, was you know, the God of Christianity, because she'd been wounded in the church and uh, had these negative experiences. Well, I think that's a little bit like, you know, Lizzie, Lizzie Bennett, right? She had made up her mind about Darcy, that he was the last person 
that she could ever love, the last person that she would ever want to spend her life with. But it was because she was believing lies about him. And Wickham plays the devil character perfectly, right? The angel of light who uh, uh, comes uh, across as somebody we we would really like and want to hang out with, but uh, has an agenda. And that agenda is simply to keep us away from that sacred romance with with. Christ. So uh, there are a lot of parallels here. And the good news with the other was that um, turns out when this lady did hear from God that uh, he did reveal himself as Jesus. And today she is actually leading a Christian ministry and has a wonderful uh, uh, ministry introducing other people to that sacred romance. Huzzah! Yeah. So the idea of living with and being in a loving relationship with God is called by many abiding in Christ. A pastor we greatly respect, Dr. Joseph Sohn, uh, calls it union with Christ. We've talked about that a little bit. Um, John Eldridge calls it the sacred romance. Um, And that's what you've chosen to go with in your teaching. I love all those angles. Um, The best way of understanding love, short of experiencing it yourself, I think, is not through a list of facts, though those can certainly be helpful, but rather through story. Um, Another story I grew up with you telling, which you heard Dr. Um, so retell, and I think you've read it in other books as well, um, which I think was also originally told by Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. Absolutely. Yeah. It's called The King Who Loved a Humble Maiden. Could you give a quick retelling of that? Certainly. Well, let me give you a little Kierkegaard first, because he's the one who wrote the story. Part of what was going on in that in the background was that Kierkegaard um, lived in a time when Christianity was the state religion, and he was just despised the lack of authenticity in the in in that religion and the fact that people had lost the sacred romance and were just going through the ritual and were just uh going through the the motions and he told several stories about this and one of them was the king who loved a humble maiden and the i'm going to give my own spin on it right because it, it, it to make that story kind of fit the purposes here and the idea is that there's a uh a young man who is the king of a of a small country, and he knows that he could essentially make any woman that he wanted to be his wife. It's like it's uh, nobody was going to tell him no. So he wanted to marry for love. He wanted uh, this to be reciprocal. So there's been a lot of movies that have been based off of this kind of theme of somebody who disguises themselves, goes undercover. And uh, tries to win. So, in fact, there's a famous story about Henry VIII where he did this and it backfired, right? <laughs> he thought he was going to, you know, disguise himself and woo the maiden, and she was completely repulsed by him. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, he ended up uh, pulling rank and making her marry him anyway. But it was the. Uh, <laughs> that is not our Jesus. <laughs> yeah, thankfully, that is not our Jesus. So, the. Uh, um, this king does go undercover. And he, uh, well, I like to tell the story, he comes to a town and he meets a young lady and he realizes that, like, this is the one and there's something about her. So he's looking for excuses to spend more time with her, realizes their family needs, you know, carpentry work done. So he comes back the next day with a uh, the tools of a carpenter and sure enough, gets hired by the family to do some work there. And now... At first, she's just like uh, rolling her eyes at him and doesn't uh, trust him. And uh, there's there's some walls there. But eventually, uh, she begins to notice that he's not like other young men, that he's, you know, that there's something about him that's like very different bearing, a very different uh, character 
And she finds herself looking for excuses to figure him out, right? And so they were hanging out, spending more time together. She's bringing them lemonade on her breaks. And before you know it, uh, they're taking walks together and they're spending time together. And, uh, and kind of like Lizzie Bennett, she finds herself falling in love with somebody that she had originally not had any uh, interest in. Um, meanwhile, her parents are not happy with this young man because <laughs> – and. Uh, they have a conversation where he's uh, the parents say to her, we don't know anything about him. We don't know his family, don't know where he's from. The only thing we know for sure is that he's poor, right? <laughs> Which, of course, is not true. And and he overhears her, her saying to her parents, I don't care if he's poor. I love him. If he asks me, I'm going to marry him. Well, that's his cue. So he uh, he leaves and um, he comes back uh and word begins to spread that the king is coming to visit their town and everybody's decorating and getting things cleaned up. And sure enough, the king comes in his uh, royal carriage and to everyone's surprise, right? It's the carpenter who steps out of the carriage and uh, now in his royal robes and everybody kneels now. I mean, and, you know, a lot of people who weren't thinking highly of him are now kneeling before him, but he walks over to her and lifts her to her feet, and then he kneels and says, will you marry me? And, uh, you know, I, I I needed to know that you loved me for who I am, right? And so that's kind of that fairy tale romance story that, uh, and I think that most fairy tales and most, you know, of these classic, almost archetypal stories are anchored in the gospel, right? They are anchored in the gospel reality, and so they are reflected in a lot of these other stories. And the gospel truth is that Jesus came into the world as one of us with nothing, you know, to really set him apart, commend him other than his own character and his own deeds, and uh, to offer himself to us, you know. And the reality is that young lady could have rejected him, right? She could have taken offense. She could have done a lot of things. But... Uh, the idea of the sacred romance is that we are responding to God, in a sense, emptying himself, right? And uh, becoming one of us and becoming a servant for only one reason, right? He's he loves so us. gentle. Yeah. yeah. He loves us. He's so gentle. He does not want to to wield his power over us and, and make us do things. And I often tell people one thing God will never do is make somebody love him. Mm-hmm. The uh, He can blow up obstacles that are getting in the way. But love isn't love if it is forced, right? If I can give you a magic potion in your drink that makes you fall in love with me. You it's know, not love. It's not You've love, right? Yes, it's some, yes. yes so <laughs> I wish you could, I, w- I wish our, our listeners could see the twinkle in your eye as you <laughs> tell this story. I, I, I love, anyway. Maybe sometime we'll we'll get visual. <laughs> it's a great story, right? I mean, who who doesn't want to be loved, and to know that somebody went to all that length for them, mm-hmm. right? We all, uh, and I think that you know, I grew up knowing God loved me, but at an emotional level, to say God loves you was a little bit like saying the sky is blue. Mm-hmm. Well, of course that's true. I know that's true. But there's a difference between knowing that and taking time to enjoy a blue sky, right? And taking time to enjoy the contours of the sky and to uh, 
mm-hmm. uh, and, and to really enjoy that. And that's part of what we're talking about with the sacred romance is moving beyond the theological statement, God is love or God loves you, and into the experience of what are the obstacles that are getting in the way of me really enjoying that love and experiencing it at a deeper level. I found it interesting that the Apostle Paul, you know, in Ephesians 3, when he talks about knowing the how wide and long and high and deep the love of, of Christ is, he talks about the need for power, right? And he goes, I pray that you will have the power to know. I'm like, why do we need power to know something? And I think it's because we have an adversary that's actively working to keep us from that kind of knowledge, that kind of experience. And so it does take power because there are obstacles that are going to need to be uh, torn down and there are um, experiences that are going to need to be pursued. And so that's what we're looking at with sacred romance. Uh, How epic is that? So now the sacred romance, we are invited to joy, to enjoy. Wow. That's right. Joy is a good word. (laughs) (laughs) To joy. (laughs) To joy. I was thinking about joy. Um, The sacred romance we are invited to enjoy is rooted in grace. Let's talk about that. So joy and grace are actually anchored in the same Greek word. I think one's, you know, the feminine, one is neuter. And honestly, I always forget which one's which, so I'd have to look it up. But the uh, the idea here is that um, part of joy in relationship is knowing that we're special to somebody. And the idea of grace is that I am special to God unrelated to my performance. Right. That's kind of the key, the key concept here. And that is that for most of us are trying to earn love or we're trying to perform in a way that is good enough to be accepted. And the idea of grace is that God's taking care of all of the performance stuff. He's taking care of all of that uh, uh, so that we can just begin the relationship. And as we deal with the relation, go, you know, go further in the relationship, what happens is we begin to change. You know, like we would in any relationship. Like if I, uh, the more time I spend with somebody, right, the more bonded we become, you know, the more it begins to change me a little bit for the better or for the worse. So in in, in this case, we're looking at uh, experiencing the joy that comes from knowing that I am special to God and that I'm special to him that is independent of my performance, which is super important because the time we need God's grace the most is when we fail. So if I'm doing everything right, and the only time I feel happy to see God or believe that God is happy to see me is when I have performed well and I'm doing, you know, on top of everything, uh, then when I need him most, in some ways, I I don't have access to him because I have uh, believed this lie. I've got a bad worldview, right? A worldview that is not rooted in grace, but in law. And so that's why grace is so important. Let's keep talking. I don't want to end our time together without talking more about Jesus. Christ died so we could experience intimacy with God. Let's talk about that. Yeah, Jesus is the, uh, you know, he is God made flesh. And you're like, why did God become flesh? So I go back to John 1.14, right? The word became flesh. So just unpacking John a little bit here. Why call him the word? Because that sounds a little abstract, right? It's like, you know, the word is this abstract thing. It's a it's an idea. It's a theological. But when you look in the Old Testament, what is the where do we see the word of God? We basically see the word of God in two contexts. One is creation. 
And so the word of God speaks and things are created. And the other is prophecy, right? The word of God came, you know, to Elijah. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, that sort of thing. So we have uh, both of these contexts. So I find it interesting then that John says that the word was life, creation, and the word was light, right? Prophecy. And the word became flesh so that we could experience life and we could experience light. And I think that light is largely about our worldview, right? Getting getting our worldview in sync with the kingdom of God. So Jesus came because he loved us and wanted us, and, and we understand now that our abiding in Christ is going to increase life and it's going to increase light. And our, our wisdom should grow and our experience of, of life should grow. And that's why Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Um, so sacred romance is, is that we get the, the beauty of a relationship with Jesus and get to know him better. And then out of that comes these two wonderful things of life and light. I, I just want to talk about the Holy Spirit now. Sure. Let's yeah. do that. I, 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 whenever we talk about um, Christ dying, I always want to immediately say, and then he rose and, yeah. and, and sent the Holy Spirit. And, um, and this isn't all just grounded in history, true history, but it is a continued relationship, a continued walking with God. Right. Um, so, yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah, we uh, well, we talked about it in the fish theories, right? This idea that we die with Christ, we're raised with Christ, we're born of the Spirit, and we're brought into a heart-focused community, heart-focused family, if you will. And uh, we see the same things here, and that is that Christ died for us. He was raised for us, right? And he gave us the Holy Spirit. I love the fact that the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ in uh, Romans chapter 8. Where it says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, right, he doesn't belong to God. So we're like, okay, uh, it's not an intellectual thing. It is an experience that comes uh, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So that's why it's a relationship. We, yeah, it, that's why we experience the sacred romance through a relational connection. And our relational connection at this point comes primarily through the Holy Spirit because he is the spirit of Christ dwelling in us. And that's how Christ dwells in our heart by faith is uh, through the Holy Spirit. So I think sometimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit, people focus almost exclusively on power, right? The Holy Spirit's power to do miracles, to heal people, to, uh, you know, give words of prophecy and things like that. But I, there's also this sense of the Holy Spirit being, uh, giving us wisdom. Uh, and that is, especially as we have to make decisions in life, but probably even deeper than those two things is this idea of the the Holy Spirit as how God pours out his love into our hearts, right? Romans mm-hmm. 5 is that the Spirit pours, God pours out his Spirit into our hearts because he loves us. And that's how we um, begin to experience that love. So we have to train, our, train ourselves and learn along the way how to better connect to the Spirit's voice in our hearts and uh, the Spirit's presence. It's a big part of how we experience the love of God. Indeed. Thank you. Next episode, we'll be looking at the second pillar of a kingdom worldview, sovereign lordship. For now, any final thoughts? Well, you can see why this is the anchor. Recently, I I heard the song about God's reckless love, right? How he knocks down walls and comes pursuing us. And I love at the end of Psalm 23, this idea that 
uh, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I unpack that a little bit. And goodness is this word tov. And it's such a rich word because it goes all the way back to to Genesis and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and that God wants what is good for us. And then there is the other word for love is actually the word chesed or mercy is his chesed. And it's this idea that 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 we belong to God and therefore his heart for us is good. The, at least this idea of God is for us who can be against us. And this idea that God is, is that these things don't just follow us. They are pursuing us is probably a better translation of that Hebrew word there. And so we, the sacred romance plays out as like that we have a God who initiates relationship with us, who pursues relationship with us. We are the ones who tend to want him to just fix our lives and make it easier. But he is less interested in fixing our lives and making it easier than he is in meeting us in whatever we're going through and deepening our walk with him. And hence the name of the organization. (laughs) So So good. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for joining us on the trail today. If you want to keep going deeper with us on your walk with God, please subscribe to the Deeper Walk podcast and share with your friends. You can find more at our website, deeperwalkinternational.org. Thanks again. We'll see you back next week.